Well, today we're going to begin an 11-week study of the book of James. We're going to spend our summer in the book of James, and I'm excited about this. The book of James is a great book, uh, but it's a book that I believe by the end of the summer, you're going to have a love-hate relationship with. Now, see, the book of James is a great book because it is a handbook on the Christian life. It is an instruction manual for how to live for Christ. Uh, But James is also like a coach on the sidelines, uh, barking out commands and criticisms and warnings to players that aren't doing their best or paying good enough attention to what's happening on the field. And so James, while it will instruct us, it will also criticize us and it will show us where we fail to do the things that we ought to do. Uh, The book of James is the best expression we have of what it means to live a Christian life. It takes Christianity from the classroom to the laboratory. It takes it from theory to practice. It is practical Christianity. Uh, You may have heard of Adrian Rogers, uh, the 20th century Baptist preacher that that, that so many of us know of. And Adrian Rogers said that the book of James is religion in shoe leather. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said that it is hands-on Christianity. And I was reading this week that Tim Mackey said it's just a punch in the gut. And so this will be quite an adventure as we go through this. Uh, throughout the the summer. Let let me begin by giving you a little bit of a background. I I think it'll help you better understand this book as we go through it, have a greater appreciation. Uh, We we put a video on our website. If you go to firstbaptistnacfbcnac.org slash James, uh, you'll be able to watch a little eight minute video that'll pull together all of the different pieces. It's, it's an entertaining video. It's not something that we produce, but a third party video that I really think will help you out. And it'll help you as we go through this series over the summer. Now, one of the things though, the video mentions that we pastors ordinarily don't mention because it just confuses people. But since the video mentions it, I need to say something about it. The book of James is not really the book of James. Did you know that? Uh, The book of James, it says James in your Bible. In my study Bible, it says Jacob. In fact, there are no Jameses in the Greek Bible. Every time you see James, the real word is Jacob. Now you might wonder, why do they put James in the English Bible if in fact it is Jacob in the original? And the answer for that is, is complicated. Uh, there's an etymological reason, and we, we won't take the time to go through that this morning, but we also posted the reason for that on that same webpage. We'd love for you to check it out. Now, the book of James is the earliest New Testament book. That means it's the first one that was written. And so there was a time when the, the book of James was the New Testament for the early church. It was the very first book. Now, James was written by James, or really Jacob, uh, but, but that doesn't really help us because there are a number of Jameses in the Bible. There are five, in fact, Jameses in your New Testament. Which one wrote the book of James? Well, the writer of this book is James, the half, pardon me, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had several brothers and sisters, half-brothers, half-sisters. They shared the same mom, and his oldest brother was James. Now, what's interesting about James is that he was not, for much of his life, a believer in the message of Jesus Christ. And maybe you can understand that. 
uh, how hard would it be for you to be convinced that your brother was the Messiah? And so he rejected it. In fact, he was very antagonistic toward Jesus until something happened that changed everything. Do you know what that was? The resurrection. When, when James saw the resurrected Savior, he knew. That settled it. Everything Jesus said must have been true. It had to be true because Jesus has risen from the grave. And the resurrection became the foundation of James' faith. And the resurrection is the foundation for our faith. James believed in Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe in Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, James goes on to become the leader of the first church there in Jerusalem. And he boldly proclaimed every day that, that Jesus was risen. And as a result, in AD 62, uh, James was executed. He was stoned to death for his proclamation uh, that Jesus Christ had, rose, had risen from, from the grave. Now, you should know when you read the Bible that there are really only two themes in this whole book. One theme is the way to God, how to get to God. The other theme is the walk with God, how you live as a Christian. So anytime you're reading the Bible, you're reading one of those two themes. It's either telling you how you come to Jesus, how you become a child of God, or it's talking to people who are already children of God, and it's telling you how to live in God's family. Now, it's important to know the difference. When you're reading, especially in the New Testament, you need to know which theme that passage deals with. Well, James is all about theme two. James is not about how to come to God. James assumes that his readers already have faith in Jesus Christ. They've already surrendered to Jesus. They've already trusted in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. They have faith in their hearts and so James simply tells us how that faith gets lived out. It's not about how to come to Jesus. It's about how we ought to live if we have come to Jesus. And so all the way through this book, we're going to see instructions every week, 11 weeks. We're going to see instructions. How do you live out your faith? How do you live out your faith? You have it in your heart, but how does it show up in your lives? How do we live out our faith? In fact, this is not a very theological book at all. Uh, Jesus is only mentioned twice by name in the entire book of James. The cross, the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit are never mentioned in the book of James. This is practical shoe leather Christianity, how to live out our faith. Now, in, in James chapter 1 verse 2, which is where we're going to begin this morning, we, we start with a shocking statement. He says something that will unnerve you. In fact, if it doesn't uh, create shockwaves in your life. You don't really understand what he says. This is a stunning way to begin the book, uh, but we need to know what it, what it means. So James chapter one, we're going to begin reading in verse two. I'd like to ask you to stand. Let's just give special reverence to God's word this morning. And we'll begin reading in verse two. The Bible says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So that's the shocking statement. We'll come back to that. He goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature 
and complete, lacking nothing. And then skip down to verse 12. One more verse I want you to read. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. Please be seated. So verse two is really where we see this shocking statement. Uh, we, we see that, that the author is saying, James is saying that if you're going through tough times, if the doctor has given you some bad news, if you feel lonely or abused, if you have a broken heart, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, if you're in pain, well, praise the Lord, high five, isn't life grand? Now that just sounds absurd, doesn't it? How in the world could he begin by saying something like that? And it doesn't make sense to us. It is shocking to us for a, a number of very important reasons. The first reason is that we are more interested in our own comfort than we are the character of Christ being formed in us. Do you know what I mean? I, I am, I'm interested in the character of Christ being formed in me. I'm interested in being mature and, and wise and spiritually strong. But, but really, I'm more interested in my own comfort than I am uh, the, the, the character of Christ being formed in us. And so when we read here that when we go through a difficulty, we can count it great joy because life is hard. That's just, it's, it doesn't compute. Another reason why we push back against this is that we frankly spend most of our lives trying our best to avoid difficulties. I mean, he's saying if you have difficulty, praise the Lord. But, but we spend lives trying to keep from having difficulty. That's why I lock my door at night. That's why I put on my seatbelt. That's why I eat a salad every once in a while. I mean, we're trying to avoid some difficulties, right? But he says if you have difficulty, great news, great joy. Another reason why this is shocking to us is because our time horizon is very short. I'm thinking about how's my life going to go over the next six hours. Or maybe I'm thinking about the next six days or the next six years. But that's about the limit to my time horizon. I don't often think about my life for the next 60,000 years or the next six million years. So because I'm focused on my own comfort because I'm trying my best to avoid difficulties, because my time horizon is so short, to me, difficulties are terrible. But he says, if you have difficulty, a hardship in life, that we ought to count it great joy. And, and, and that just seems wrong. It, it, it seems like it is either insensitive and reckless to say that, or this is a life-changing life-changing statement. You understand? E either what he says is irresponsible and insensitive, or I need to change the whole orbit of my life for this to make sense to who I am. And we're Bible people, so we believe this is truth from God. Our lives need to change. So I want to show you this morning, what do we need to do when we face difficulties? I think this is one of the most important messages that you can learn as a Christian from the Bible. Now, before we actually answer the question, what do you do when you face difficulty? There is one word I need to point out just to give you context for this. It's right in the middle of verse two. It's the word whenever. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sister, whenever you experience difficulties. What that tells us, this is important, that we're all 
going to face difficulties. Now, you knew that already, but it's important to hear it. All of us are going to face hardships. All of us are going to have problems. All of us are going to have some really bad days or maybe a really bad year. Everybody is going to face hardships. And we're going to face some hardships that are going to be very serious in nature. There are going to be people close to you who die. And you may have a spouse pass away. You may have a, a child pass away. You, you may have recently gone through uh, the death of a parent or a close friend. And so we're going to have some, some serious issues like that. Some of us are going to have health issues, very serious health issues. I was in the hospital this week with a, with a couple in our church and, and the woman was laying in bed and her husband was right next to her and, and she had just been diagnosed with cancer for the third time. And I was so impressed with their faith in God. But while they were talking to me about just where they were in life with this news, I was paying attention, but I couldn't help but the selfish part of me kick in. And, and I wondered, how will I handle it when I'm in that bed or my wife is in that bed and we've heard news like that? You see, we're going to we're going to all face problems and many of those problems are going to be serious. There may be a crisis in your family with your marriage or, or with your children. There are going to be some serious problems. And when James says that when we face difficulties, we should count it all joy. He's not excluding any of those things. If you have Parkinson's disease, that counts. If, if, if you have been abused, and you're suffering, that counts. There is nothing so bad that it's not included in this statement, in this instruction, that when you face difficulty, you should count it all joy. But we should also know, on the other hand, that we face daily difficulties, and those are included here as well. And so maybe on Tuesday morning, you're gonna wake up late, and you're gonna be, you're gonna be panicked because you're running late to work, and you, you, you have a very important Tuesday morning meeting, and now you can't find your keys or your wallet, and you're just about to pull the rest of your hair out. Now, that doesn't compare. That problem doesn't compare with Parkinson's disease. It doesn't compare at all, but that's still a difficulty, right? And this is talking about that kind of difficulty. It's talking about when your refrigerator breaks, and you didn't have it in the budget to get it repaired this month. That's a difficulty. And so this is talking about the big stuff, the serious stuff, but this is also talking about the daily stuff that we face. When you have difficulty, count it great joy. So let's learn how to do that. How do we count? How do we count it great joy? There are three things that we must do according to these verses. Number one, we need to identify the reason, the reason for counting it joy. He says in verse two again, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now that sounds preposterous. When you go through a hardship, count it great joy, but it's right here in black and white. When I was studying this this week, I read something that David Platt, some of you know who that is, a Bible teacher of some renown today. I read what David Platt said about this and here's what he said. This is the most profound and crucial passage for mature and authentic Christian living. He said, this is it. 
If you want to know what is the most important passage for living the Christian life, this absurd sounding statement to count it great joy when we go through difficulties, this is it. So what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're happy about struggles. It doesn't mean that you hear that the neighbor kid down the street's just been diagnosed with epilepsy and and you say, well, good for them. No, of course not. We're not happy about tragedies, whether they're ours or they're somebody else's. We're not, we're not happy about those things. We grieve over those things. Jesus grieved over the death of Lazarus, and the Bible says that his heart was broken and he wept because Lazarus had died. It's okay to have a broken heart because people, or because you, go through difficult times. So this doesn't mean that, um, that we're happy about problems. It also doesn't mean that we just pretend You know, sometimes people will just try to put a smile on the worst kind of problem. And that's not what this is talking about. It's not saying that you pretend like everything is okay when it's not okay. Not at all. The Bible never suggests that you pretend. So what then does this mean? Well, you have to notice this is an imperative. It's a command. He says, consider it joy. Or your Bible may say, Count it all joy. This is something that we do. It's an imperative. It means we roll up our sleeves. We're going to have to do something that's hard. This is work. And how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, we must identify the reason. When you're in the midst of the difficulty, you have to identify the reason for joy. Now, you might be thinking, well, the reason is that there are some good things in my life. For for instance, um, maybe you lose your job. And you think, well, you know, I've lost my job, but I still have my family. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with a a terminal illness and you think, well, my life is shortened, but I've still had a great life. Now, that's not a bad thing to do, but that's not what it says here. That's not what this is talking about. There is another reason for joy. Not just that while there are bad things, you can point to a good thing over here. There's a reason for joy, even in that bad thing. And we've got to identify that reason. And here's what it is. We must know and declare that this thing that's happened, this bad thing, whether it's some terrible thing or it's, it's a daily kind of thing, this thing is a tool in God's hand to mature me, to give me wisdom, and to give me strength. That whatever I'm facing, God is going to use this to mature me. God is going to form the character of Christ in me through this difficulty that I face. How does God make a mature Christian? How does God make a strong Christian? Well, we become mature and strong in our faith the same way we become mature and strong in anything else. How do you teach a kid to do long division? Well, you don't just show them on the whiteboard and they've got it. No, you give them about a thousand long division problems and you let them work it out and it's hard and it's terrible and it's, 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 it's a difficult thing. But at the end of the thousand problems, what has happened? Through the hardship, they've learned to do long division. How does an athlete get strong muscles? Well, he doesn't just go take a class. He doesn't just read a book. No, he goes out and he exercises and he sweats and he pushes and he strains. And through that difficulty, his body gets stronger. I had a friend in in Ohio who ran a flight simulator for NetJets. You ever heard of that? It's an executive jet service that was uh, 
headquartered near where I lived in, in Ohio. And so uh, this, uh, this man who ran this flight simulator, and I know we have several commercial pilots in our church, uh, so you'll, you'll know what this is more than I will. Uh, but he said he'd get those pilots uh, in this simulator and he would give them a problem that they had to handle. So they're pretend flying a plane, a jet, and uh, he's sitting in the back somehow and he can introduce a problem. And so that uh, the panel in front of them will indicate to them that maybe uh, the left engine has flamed out. And so they start to handle that problem. They have certain things that they do. I have no idea what they are, but just help. I mean, I don't, I don't know what that, but, they, but they've got a procedure, okay? And I don't even know if that's part of it. But um, so they start to handle the problem. And as soon as they begin to handle the problem, he said, I'll give them another problem. Now you've lost cabin pressure. And they start to handle that. He said, I'll give them another problem. And I'll give them another problem. He says, I just keep adding on problems until they crash this simulator. And he said, we go through this for hours. And that the way those pilots get so good at what they do is they go through these difficulties, simulated difficulties, and that's what makes them great pilots. So how does God mature us? Well, God puts us through some really hard things in order to teach us to have wisdom and spiritual strength and maturity, the hardships. That's our joy. When I face a difficulty, I need to recognize that's God giving me a lesson that's going to benefit me and the people around me. You know, there's some lessons that you can only learn in the midst of difficulty. Let me give you three of them. Number one, it's in difficulty that you learn the priority of prayer. How do people learn how to pray? Do you learn how to pray by going and reading a book about prayer? Well, there are some really good books out there. You ought to read one. But you're not going to learn to pray by reading a book. You know how you'll learn to pray? You let your boss tell you tomorrow that your company is downsizing and you're going to be out of a job in six weeks. You'll learn how to pray. You know what I mean? That's how you learn how to pray. You let your kid get sick. You'll learn how to pray. And, And so prayer is one of those things that can only be learned through hardship. How do we learn the importance of Christian community? The Bible over and over tells us that we need to have Christian friends. We need to be connected in small groups. Here we have Sunday school classes. And and you need to be living the Christian life, linked arms with other people. And and the Bible says that, but, but oftentimes we think it's not important. But how do you learn that it is important? You go through a crisis. And you let people gather around you and encourage you and support you and pray for you and bring you a bowl of beans at night or whatever it is that you need. And it's in the midst of the crisis that you learn the importance of Christian community. How do we learn that all we really need in life is the grace of God? That's an important lesson that most people never learn. But the way we learn it, if we do learn it, is through hardship. I think about the Apostle Paul. His story is in 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul had some hardship in his life. We don't know exactly what it was. He called it a thorn in the flesh. All we know is that it was difficult. It was terrible. It may have been financial. It may have been a health issue. It may have been some adversaries in his life. It may have been a propensity to sin. But it was some problem in his life. And it was so serious. Paul prayed to God over and over and over. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. And God said, no, no, no. And Paul came through the end of that and he said, here's what I've learned. 
as badly as I thought I needed the thorn to go away, what I really, the truth is, all I really need is the grace of God. And I've got that. Now, he could never have learned that, and neither can you, and neither can I, unless we go through hardships. So this maturity that, that, that God wants to form in our lives cannot be formed by us reading a book, listening to a sermon, or praying a prayer. It can only come through hardships. And so when God allows something hard to come into your life, big or small, you need to stop, identify the reason that God has allowed that, that he's trying to mature you and strengthen you and give you wisdom, and then claim it as a joyful thing. Celebrate and be thankful that God is working in your life. Now you might, uh, some people are thinking this morning, well, pastor, I'm, uh, I, it seems like I have more hardships than everybody else. Well, that might be true. Uh, some, uh, well, first of all, we're not very good at comparing our lives to others, so it may not be true. But, but some people do face worse hardships. But I was reading this week, A.W. Tozer, theologian, and, and he pointed this out, and, and he gave biblical evidence for this, that the people that God uses most in this life are the ones who have been through the greatest hardships. And if you're going through hardships that seem to be greater than the hardships of others, it may just be that God wants to do something even greater in your life because it's through hardships that we grow strong and mature. So this is a complete reworking of the way we think. If our goal in life is to avoid all difficulty, we're going to be frustrated all the way through life. But if our goal in life is to take the difficulty God gives to us and count it as joy because God is using it to grow and mature us, then we'll be on the path of peace and maturity and strength and wisdom. So the first thing we must do when we face difficulty is identify the reason for joy that God is using this. Verses two and three, that God is using this to mature us. The second thing we must do when we face difficulty is let endurance have its full effect. Look at verse four. He says, and let the endurance, enduring through the difficulty, have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so he says, the goal is that we would get, that me and you would be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we would never sin. I mean, we strive for that, but we won't ever get there in this life. In fact, he tells us that in chapter three, verse two, that uh, we all stumble in many ways, but it means that we would have complete trust in God. Wouldn't it be great if you could come to the place where you had just complete trust in God, no matter what happened, you trusted God, and that you would have unshakable joy. I remember a few years ago, I meant to ask uh, Donna, help me figure out how many years ago, but maybe five years ago, I got a call about midnight the night before Thanksgiving, I believe, and uh, to go to a, a lady's house. And Donna went with me. It was a lady, she had four children, five children, five children, all young. And uh, I was to be there while the sheriff explained to her that her husband had just died in an automobile accident. 
And of course, it's one of those calls that you hate to get. And one of those, you may have been in situations like that. And so Don and I go out and we're sitting there and she's absorbing this shocking news. And uh, her kids, of course, are upset. She's upset, all the normal things that you would think. But let me tell you the thing that shocked me about that night. We were there for hours. This woman who, who had a reputation for being just a joy-filled woman. That's what everybody knew. Her name, Susan Brown. Everybody that knew her, uh, she was a school teacher. Everybody that knew her, just Susan was filled with joy, filled with joy. Well, her heart, no question, was broken that night. But here's what I saw. Her joy never wavered. She was still a joyful person. That's what this is talking about when it says that we might be mature and complete and lacking nothing, that we would have that kind of spiritual strength. Now, how do we get there? Well, we, counted, we, we have to know the reason for joy that God is working on us, but then we have to let endurance have its full effect. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to seem to contradict what I said just a moment ago, but bear with me. The trials or the difficulties that you face, they don't make you mature. Now, it seemed a minute ago, like I said, they did, but listen, it's not the trials that make you mature. It's that you endure the trials that makes you mature. Everybody's going to have trials, right? Everybody's going to have difficulty. Everybody doesn't mature. It's not just because you have hard things that happen to you. It's because you endure those things. What does it mean to endure the trials? Well, it means, first of all, you don't have a woe is me attitude. No, you count it as great joy. You quit this attitude. Woe is me. Life is terrible. Nothing works out for me. Let me tell you a personal story. So on Monday, be careful about this kind of prayer. On Monday, I told our ministry staff in a meeting that I was praying that God would just really make the book of James come alive for me as I studied for this series that it's easy for this book just to be sort of humdrum and I wanted it to just really come alive so that I could teach it well. Well, it did this week. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday was just a really bad day. And there weren't any big problems, they were just a bunch of little problems. Uh, we had a mechanical issue at the house. We had a little financial issue that, uh, that, that we faced. Uh, we, we had some, some things that happened here at the church that didn't happen exactly like I wanted them to happen in the office. And, and you know, by, by lunch on Wednesday, I was just mad at the world. I was mad at my family. I was mad at everybody that works here at the church. I was mad at you and you didn't even know it. (laughs) You ever get in a mood like that? I was just mad. I mean, I can't even four days later, I can't really, really remember why now. But I had just, I just had that woe is me attitude. Just like, just, just things never work out. I mean, just, I can't get ahead. I mean, just nobody understands. And so then Thursday morning, I'm praying. I mean, I, I, I was, I, I tried to, I, I ate lunch with some of you on Wednesday and I tried to fake it, but I was mad at you too. Um, <laughs> I got home, I was mad at my family that night. I was every single one of them. I was mad at the dog and the cat. So Thursday morning, I'm praying. And of course, all week long, I'm preparing this message. Uh, When you go through hardships, count it all joy. (laughs) 
And God just reminded me, you know, I gave you some yesterday. I mean, they weren't even hard ones. They were pretty easy. And yesterday, you didn't count one single hardship as joy. You threw up your hands, woe is me, life is too not fair. You see, I wanted to do something in your life. And I sent those hardships so that I could mature you and strengthen you and maybe even the people around you. But you absolutely failed the test. So don't pray that God will make James come alive because <laughs> he's, he's liable to do that. And I had to repent. And it was, I mean, it was emotional because I, I knew I, I had failed. But see, it's not the hardships that mature us. It's that we endure. And you're not enduring if you have a woe is me attitude. You're not enduring if you're complaining all the time. This isn't fair. And why is it going like this? And this doesn't happen to anybody else. Uh, no, we need, to, we need to continue to pray and cast our cares on him. I love 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that, you, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. He'll get you out of this when he's ready to get you out of this. But cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. So we had this mechanical problem at the house. Can, can I just, um, can I complain a minute? But I'll use myself as an illustration. So we had this mechanical problem at the house a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know anything about how to fix small appliances or appliances. And so, but I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. And so I'm, I'm mad, first of all, that we've got this problem on something that had, that was just about one month old, uh, but it wasn't under warranty because we did something wrong. So, so I take the thing apart and I find this little thing right in the middle of it that's broken. And so then I buy another one of those things. It takes me days to get it shipped in. I finally get it shipped in. I'm still mad about it. I, um, I, I put it on the mechanical device that was broken and I broke the new part. And now I'm just, I broke it right into. And so now I've got to buy another one. I got to wait for it to get shipped. It finally arrives. I put it on. I put everything back together and it still doesn't work. And so then I take it apart thinking that, uh, you know, maybe I put something on backwards or something, you know. And so I put it back together, it still doesn't work. Take it apart, I don't know how many times I took it apart, put it back together. And so then uh, Mark, bless you Mark, Mark told me that there was a guy in Lufkin who could fix it. And so I took Mark at his word, he usually is, um, is reliable. And so on, <laughs> Friday, I drive to Lufkin, drop this thing off. I say, I don't care what it costs, just fix it. I'm so frustrated about it. And so then I drive back, I get back here, and then they call me, and they said, we can't fix it. We don't know. What in the world's wrong with it? So then I drive back to Lufkin, and I get it. And then I go to Lowe's. I just buy a bunch of stuff and cram it in there. I don't know. And then finally it works for now. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. So, but I had a bad attitude through that whole thing. Now, God's not interested in the mechanical appliances in my house as much as he is interested in forming the character of Christ in me. I need to cast my cares upon him and trust that God is going to use every difficulty to mature and to strengthen and to give me wisdom. We must let endurance have its full effect. Now, there's a third thing, and I'm going to be very quick. We must anticipate the reward to come. So we looked at verse 12. Let me read it to you. Blessed is the one who endures trials because he has stood, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who believe. There are three parts to that verse. There's compensation, motivation, and confirmation. Let me tell you what they are briefly. 
there is compensation. It says that if I'll endure, that God will give me the crown of life. Now that's not referring to some tacky piece of jewelry that you're gonna get in heaven. That's referring to the fact that God will crown me with life. God will bless me with eternal life. If I will endure, God has before me this eternal life where there are no more difficulties, where there is no disease, where all of the mechanical stuff works. God says, I promise you, if you'll endure, there is a different life to come. That's the compensation. And then that for me ought to be motivation. I ought to keep my eye on the prize. I can go through some difficulty now because God has heaven and eternal life waiting for me. And then there's a confirmation there. He says, if you endure, then you'll receive eternal life. What does that tell us? That tells us that the surest sign that your faith is genuine is that it lasts. A, a true believer will endure, will count it all joy, great joy when he faces difficulty because he knows that he can trust the Lord. There is, uh, there is this confirmation that my faith is, is real. Well, let me, let me close this by telling you something hard. I don't know if I've been your pastor long enough to say something hard, but I, I need to say it for you to understand this passage. Whatever you're going through, and this is hard to say because I, I was thinking about it just as I was walking around shaking hands a moment ago. And, um, and I know some people in here are going through some hard, hard times. I see Jane over there and I thought about you this morning. I see Daryl back there. And, I mean, there are a lot of you going through some hard times. There are people here going through hard times and I don't know anything about it. There are people here, here who have been abused. People here are heartbroken. People here that are sitting on some news and it's just so terrible you can't tell anybody. But now listen, here's the hard thing. Whatever you're going through, I'm not suggesting that God is the author of that because God's not the author of sin. Uh, if your husband has been unfaithful to you, God did not cause that to happen. But I can tell you this, that whatever you're going through, God allowed that to happen. God allowed it. God could have stopped it. God could have kept him from being unfaithful. God could have kept you from having cancer. God could have kept you from being in that car accident. God could have kept your child from going down that path. Listen, this is hard, but it would not even have been hard for God to have stopped it. He could have. Whatever difficulty you're wrestling with, God could have just he could have removed it before you ever knew about it. And he would not even have had to break a sweat. But you know what God did? God looked at you and he looked at that hardship before you even knew it was coming. And he knew he could make it go away. But God said, I think I can accomplish more for you I think I can bless you more 
by letting you go through that hardship that I could have blessed you by taking it away. Is that hard to hear? God said, I could take it away. No problem. But I believe I can bless you more by letting you go through it than I could bless you by taking it away. That's why we count our hardships as joy because it is evidence, it is the fingerprint of God working in our lives. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean you're happy about it, but it means you are thankful to God for his love and his providence. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Christ as your savior, then every hardship is a negative. If, if you're not a child of God, then every hardship is just robbing you of the quality and the quantity of life that you wish you had. And so I invite you, confess your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you because of the payment he paid on the cross. And today you can become a child of God. There's nothing more important than that. And so we'll stand and sing in a minute and I'll just invite you, I know it's hard, it's embarrassing, but I invite you, young or old, just to come down and take my, my hand or the hand of one of the ministers standing in the front and say, hey, today I need to stand with Jesus and let us help you. But you know, many of us, we, we do know Christ as our savior and we go through hardships, big and small. And every time they come, we can either benefit from them or we can waste them. Would you count it great joy because God's working? Would you endure to the end and keep your eye on the prize? Ask God to give you strength to do that this morning. Father, work in our lives. Correct our attitudes. Stop our complaining. And, let it, and remind us that there's nothing in our lives that you can't use to bless us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and respond to the Lord.